0: Chapters ten, eleven, and twelve of *A Texas Cowboy* by Charles A. Seringo. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter ten: A Start Up the Chisholm Trail. I put in the following winter branding Mavericks, skinning cattle, and making regular trips to Matagorda. I still remained in partnership with Horace Yemens in the skinning business i made considerable money that winter as i sold a greater number of mavericks than ever before but the money did me no good as i spent it freely that coming spring it being eighteen seventy four i hired to leander ward of jackson county to help gather a herd of steers for the muckleroy brothers who were going to drive them to kansas i had also made a contract with muckleroy's boss tom merrill to go up the trail with him therefore i bid my friends good-bye not expecting to see them again until the coming fall my wages were thirty-five dollars per month and all expenses including railroad fare back home after a month's hard work we had the eleven hundred head of wild and woolly steers ready to turn over to the muckleroy outfit at thirteen mile point on the mustang where they were camped ready to receive them their outfit consisted mostly of kansas shorthorns which they had brought back with them the year before it was a cold rainy evening when the cattle were counted and turned over to tom merrill Henry Coates, George Gifford, and myself were the only boys who were turned over with the herd, that is, kept right on. We were almost worn out standing night guard half of every night for the past month, and then starting in with a fresh outfit made it appear tough to us. That night it began to storm terribly. The herd began to drift early, and by midnight we were five or six miles from camp. The steers showed a disposition to stampede, but we handled them easy and sang melodious songs which kept them quieted. But about one o'clock they stampeded in grand shape. One of the short horns, a long-legged fellow by the name of St. Clair, got lost from the herd and finally, when he heard the singing, came dashing through the herd at full speed, yelling, "Let em slide! We'll stay with him at every jump." They did slide, sure enough, but he failed to stay with them, for towards morning one of the cowboys came across him lying in the grass, sound asleep. When he came dashing through the herd, a stampede followed. The herd split up into a dozen different bunches, each bunch going in a different direction. I found myself all alone with about three hundred of the frightened steers. Of course, all I could do was to keep in front or in the lead and try to check them up i finally about three o'clock got them stopped and after singing a few lullaby songs they all lay down and went to snoring after the last steer dropped down i concluded i would take a little nap too so locking both legs around the saddle horn and lying over on the tired pony's rump with my left arm for a pillow while the other still held the bridle reins i fell asleep i hadn't slept long through when from some unaccountable reason every steer jumped to his feet at the same instant and was off like a flash my pony which was sound asleep too i suppose became frightened and dashed off at full speed in the opposite direction of course i was also frightened and hung to the saddle with a death grip i was unable to raise myself up as the pony was going so fast therefore had to remain as i was until after about a mile's run i got him checked up just as soon as i got over my scare i struck out in a gallop in the direction i thought the cattle had gone but failed to overtake them i landed in camp almost petered out about nine o'clock next morning the rest of the boys were all there just eating their breakfast tom merrill and henry coates had managed to hold about half of the herd while the balance were scattered and mixed up with range cattle for twenty miles round after eating our breakfast and mounting fresh horses we struck out to gather up the lost steers we could tell them from the range cattle by the fresh road brand a brand that had been put on a few days before therefore by four o'clock that evening we had all but about one hundred head back to camp and those leander ward bought back at half price that is he just bought the road brand or all cattle that happened to be left behind on arriving at camp we all caught fresh horses before stopping to eat dinner or supper whichever you like to call it it being then nearly night the pony i caught was a wild one and after riding up to camp and dismounting to eat dinner he jerked loose from me and went flying with my star-spangled saddle i mounted a pony belonging to one of the other boys and went in hot pursuit i got near enough once to throw my rope over his rump and that was all after a run of fifteen miles i gave it up as a bad job and left him still headed for the rio grande i got back to camp just at dark and caught a fresh horse before stopping to eat my supper it was still raining and had kept it up all day long. Mr. Jim Muckleroy had an extra saddle along, therefore, I borrowed it until I could get a chance to buy me another one. After eating a cold supper, the rain having put the fire out, I mounted and went on guard the first part of the night until one o'clock, being my regular time to stay with the herd while the last guard remained in camp and slept about ten o'clock it began to thunder and lightning which caused the herd to become unruly every time a keen clash of thunder would come the herd would stampede and run for a mile or two before we could get them to stop it continued in that way all night so that we lost another night's rest but we managed to stay with them this time didn't even lose a steer that morning we struck out on the trail for kansas everything went on smoothly with the exception of a stampede now and then and a fuss with jim muckleroy who was a regular old sorehead charlie his brother was a white man where the trouble began he wanted coates and i we being the only ones in the crowd who could ride wild horses or at least who were willing to do so to do the wild horse riding for nothing we finally bolted and told him that we wouldn't ride another wild horse except our regular mount unless he gave us extra pay you see he expected us to ride a horse a few times until he began to get docile and then turn him over to one of his muley pets while we caught up a fresh one at high hill in fayette county i got the bounce from old jim and a little further on coates got the same kind of a dose while nearing the northern state line george gifford and tom merrill the boss were fired so that left old jim in full charge he hired other men in our places he arrived in wichita kansas with eight hundred steers out of the eleven hundred we started with after leaving the outfit i rode to the sunset railroad at schuschenberg and boarded a train for columbus on the colorado river pat muckleroy charlie's son who was about eighteen years old quit and went with me his home was in columbus and he persuaded me to accompany him and have a good time on arriving in columbus i went with pat to his home where i remained during my stay in that place i found mrs m pat's mother to be a kind-hearted old lady and i never shall forget the big fat apple cobblers she used to make she could beat the world making them there were also two young misses in the family, Nanny and Mary, who made time pass off pleasantly with me. It being seventy-five miles to Trespalacious, and there being no railroad nearer than that, I had to wait for a chance to get home. I could have bought a horse and saddle when I first struck town, but after remaining there a week I began to get light in the pocket, for it required quite a lot of money to keep up my end with the crowd that Pat associated with. At last, after about a three-week stay, I struck Asa Dowdy, an old friend from Trespalacios. He was there with a load of stock, and was just fixing to load them on the cars to ship them to Galveston, when I ran afoul of him. He had sold his saddle and was going to put his pet pony, one that he wouldn't sell, into a pasture until some other time when he happened up there. So, you see, I was in luck. He turned the pony over to me to ride home on after buying and rigging up a saddle i left town flat broke i spent my last dime for a glass of lemonade just before leaving thus ended my first experience on the trail chapter eleven buys a boat and becomes a sailor a three days ride brought me to grimes ranch where i hoped to strike a job but the old gent informed me that he was full-handed had more men than he really needed but he offered me a job cutting cordwood at a dollar a cord until there should be an opening for me which he thought might be when the branding outfit arrived from jackson county where it had gone quite a while before cutting cordwood sounded tough to me but i finally agreed to try it a round or two for i hated the idea of being busted mr grimes was to advance me about two weeks provisions on tick So I concluded I couldn't lose anything, unless it was a few pounds of muscle, and I had grave doubts about that, for I knew my failing when it came to dabbling in wood. Before launching out into the wood business, I borrowed a horse and struck out to hunt up old Satan, so that I could ride around and find easy trees to cut down. I found him about thirty miles from Grimes Ranch. He was fat and wild, I had to get help to put him in a corral. And when I mounted him, he pitched like a wolf. He had forgotten that he had ever been ridden. The wood camp was three miles from the ranch in a thinly timbered bottom. I had to camp all by myself, which made it a disagreeable job. The first day after locating camp was spent in building a kind of Jim Crow shanty out of rotten logs. Was saving my muscles to cut cordwood next morning bright and early i mounted satan and rode around hunting some easy trees ones that i thought would cut nicely i marked about a dozen and went back to camp it being noon by that time after dinner i lay down to take a nap until evening when it would be cooler about five o'clock i rolled up my sleeves and waded into a small sickly pin oak tree and the way chips flew for half an hour was a caution i then put in the balance of the evening cording it up that is what i had cut it lacked considerable of being half a cord but i filled in a lot of rotten chunks to make it pan out fifty cents worth i slept sound that night for i was tired bright and early next morning i shouldered my axe and struck out to tackle another sickly pin oak tree while spitting on my hands and figuring on how many licks it would take to down the little sapling i spied a large coon in a neighboring live oak now catching coons you all know by this time was a favorite pastime with me so dropping the axe i went for him by the time i got part of him cooked it was noon and after dinner i fell asleep and dreamt happy dreams until after sundown after supper i went turkey hunting and killed a fat gobbler Thus ended my third day in a wood camp. I became tired of the cordwood business after two weeks' time. It was too lonesome a work for a boy of my restless disposition. I mounted Satan one morning after devouring the last speck of grub in camp and struck out for the ranch. On my arrival there, Mr. Grimes asked me how much wood I had. I told him I thought there was enough to balance my grub bill. He said, all right, he would send a man up there with me next morning to measure it i finally informed him that it wasn't in shape for measuring with the exception of half a cord that i cut the first day as it was scattered over a vast territory two or three sticks in a place i suppose he balanced my grub bill as he has never presented it yet just then i came across a factory hand john collier by name who had a boat for sale he had bought it for a pleasure boat but found he couldn't support such a useless piece of furniture he offered it to me for forty dollars and he had paid one hundred for it i tried to sell satan so as to buy it but no one would have him as a gift as they said they would have to get their lives insured before mounting him i wanted the boat but how to get her i did not know i finally studied up a scheme mr collier wanted to buy a horse in case he sold the boat so i began talking horse trade nothing but a gentle animal would suit he said I THEN DESCRIBED ONE TO HIM, AND ASKED HOW MUCH HE WOULD TAKE TO BOOT, IF THE PONY PROVED TO BE AS I REPRESENTED. TEN DOLLARS, SAID HE. SHE POPS, CONTINUED I. SO I STARTED OVER TO CASH'S CREEK TO TRADE Horace Yeoman's OUT OF AN OLD CRIPPLED PONY THAT HE COULDN'T GET RID OF. HE WAS A NICE-LOOKING HORSE, AND APPARENTLY AS SOUND AS A DOLLAR, BUT ON TROTTING HIM AROUND A SHORT WHILE HE WOULD BECOME SUDDENLY LAME IN BOTH OF HIS FRONT LEGS. Before starting to Cassius Creek next morning, Mr. Collier told me to try and get the horse there that night, as, in case we made the trade, he and Mr. Murphy would start next morning on a pleasure trip to Columbia, a town forty miles east. I assured him that I would be back by dark. You see, that was a point gained, making the trade after dark. I succeeded in making the trade with Horace. He gave me Old Gray, as he called him, and fourteen dollars in money for my interest in three different brands of cattle. He afterwards sold the cattle for enough to buy a whole herd of crippled ponies. I rode back to Grimes's ranch very slowly so as not to cause Old Gray to become lame. I arrived there about sundown, but remained out in the brush until after dark. Mr. Collier, on being notified of my arrival, came out, lantern in hand, bringing his friend Murphy along to do the judging for him. He confessed that he was a very poor judge of a Spanish pony, not having been long in America. He was from Hengland. After examining Old Grey all over, they both pronounced him a model of beauty, an honor to the Mustang race. You see, he was hog-fat, not having been used for so long the trade was sealed that night and next morning mr collier and murphy who already had a pony of his own started on their forty-mile journey when within five miles of elliot's ferry on the colorado river which was fifteen miles from grimes's old gray gave out entirely so that poor collier had to hoof it to the ferry where he secured another horse now kind reader you no doubt think that a shabby trick if so all i can say is such is life in the far west now that i was owner of a ship i concluded it policy to have a partner for company if nothing more so i persuaded a young factory hand by the name of scheisenhammer or some such name to go in with me in my new enterprise he only had ten dollars to invest therefore i held the controlling interest our ship was schooner rigged and would carry about three tons her name was great eastern but we changed it to the bloodhound i turned satan loose to russell for himself i afterwards sold him to a stranger for 30 dollars and then pulled down the river for matagorda bay a distance of 15 miles i concluded to go to the peninsula and buy a load of melons that trip as there were none in trespalacios we struck the bay just at dark the water was terribly rough and the wind was so strong that it made the bloodhound dip water and slide along as though it was fun my young pard who had never been on salt water before having been raised in st louis turned pale behind the gills and wanted to turn back when the low streak of land behind us began to grow dim but as i owned the controlling interest in the ship i told him he would have to grin and bear it he swore that would be his last trip, and it was. He sold me his interest on the way back for eight dollars. He lost just two dollars besides his time, in the speculation. Finally, we hove in sight of the lighthouse at Silura Pass. Then we were all right, for I could tell just where to head for, although I hadn't been on the bay much since leaving there in 67, but I had learned it thoroughly before then it was fifteen miles across the bay to fred voggs's landing where i had concluded to land we arrived there about midnight and next morning walked up to mr voggs's house about half a mile for breakfast the whole family were glad to see me for the first time in eight years i bought a load of melons delivered at the landing for five cents a head or piece i should have said The next evening we started back home, and arrived at Grimes's, just as the whistle was tooting for dinner next day. The whole crowd of factory hands, there being about seventy-five, made a break for the boat to fill up on melons. The largest I sold at fifty cents, and the smallest at twenty-five. By night I had sold entirely out, and started back after another load, all by myself this time, with the exception of a dog, a stray that I had picked up. I bought my melons at a different place this time, from a Mr. Joe Berg, who lived a few miles above Mr. Vog. I got them for two and a half cents apiece, therefore made a better speck than before. I struck a terrible storm on my return trip, and came very near swamping. I made my next trip to Indianola, as I had four passengers to take down, at two dollars and a half a head. Shortly after landing in Indianola, I got two passengers, one of them a pretty young lady, Miss Ruthie Ward, to take to Sand Point in Lavaca County, just across the bay from Indianola. I remained in Indianola two days, bucking Monty. I left there broke after paying for a load of melons. Chapter twelve back to my favorite occupation, that of a wild and woolly cowboy when the oyster season began i abandoned the melon trade in favor of the former i would load up at one of the many oyster reefs in the bay and take them either to the factory or indianola where they sold for one dollar a barrel in the shell along in october sometime i worked up a scheme by which i thought i could make a stake my scheme was to get into the colorado river where there were no boats and speculate among the africans that lined the river banks on both sides just as far up as it was navigable which was fifty miles or more the worst job was to get the boat into the river the mouth of it being stopped up with a raft or drift about eighteen miles long my only show was to snake her across the prairie from the head of wilson's creek a distance of five miles and that i concluded to do if it took all the oxen in matagorda county as i needed a partner in my new enterprise i managed to find one in the person of an old irishman by the name of big jack he only had a capital of eighteen dollars but i agreed to give him half of the profits which i figured on being very large you see my intentions were to swap for hides pecans etc which i could have hauled overland to wilson's creek and from there to indianola by sailboat our plans being laid we struck out for indianola to buy our goods all kinds of articles that we thought would fetch the negro's eye including a good supply of tanglefoot which i am sorry to say cost me dear besides being the cause of smashing my little scheme into a thousand fragments we finally started back from indianola with our load of goods and jack being an irishman couldn't resist the temptation of taking a wee drop of the critter every fifteen or twenty minutes the consequences were everything but edifying i hired anthony moore a gentleman of colour to haul the bloodhound and all of our traps to the river we fixed rollers under the boat and after getting her out high and dry on the ball prairie found that we didn't have oxen enough to carry out the job while anthony moore was off rustling for a couple more yoke of cattle i hired a horse to ride up to the post office after my mail but before starting i gave jack a raking over for remaining drunk so long he hadn't drawn a sober breath since leaving town when i returned next evening jack was gone no one there but my faithful dog ranger i found jack had taken a negro skiff and pulled down wilson's creek taking all of my snide jewelry tobacco etc along i traced him up to where he had sold a lot of the stuff he sold an old englishman a lot of tobacco for seven dollars that didn't cost less than twenty being discouraged i sold the bloodhound to anthony moore for twenty five dollars right where she lay on the open prairie i then hired to wiley coikendall who was buying and shipping beeves at houston at twenty-five dollars per month i left my companion ranger with anthony paying him two dollars and a half a month for his board but poor dog he met a sad fate the next winter during one of my rash moments i was out after a wild bunch of horses one day and while trying to slip up on them unobserved ranger and three others belonging to a neighbour made a break after a little calf that jumped up out of the tall grass which of course scared the horses i wanted to run after them as that was my best and only chance but i hated to go off and let the dogs kill the poor little calf which they all four had hold of by that time i finally galloped back and yelled myself hoarse trying to get them off but no use so drawing my pistol i began firing right and left when the smoke cleared away i discovered two of the dogs lifeless and a poor ranger crawling up towards me howling with pain he was shot through both shoulders no no i didn't feel bad it was some other youngster about my size i dismounted and caressed the poor dumb brute with tears in my eyes it was ten miles to camp or the nearest ranch therefore i had no alternative but to kill him or leave him there to suffer and finally die i had tried to lift him on my horse so as to take him to camp and try and doctor him up but he was too heavy being a large powerful brute i made several attempts to kill him but every time i would raise the pistol to shoot he would look up into my eyes so pitifully as much as to say please don't kill me i at last mounted my horse and after starting off wheeled around in my saddle and put a bullet between his eyes thus ended the life of as faithful a dog as ever lived after new year's i quit mr wiley and went to work again on my own hook skinning cattle and branding mavericks i had bought me a twenty-five dollar horse for the occasion i established my camp at the head of cassius creek three miles above mr yeaman's the only company i had was ranger and i didn't have him but a short while as you already know cattle died pretty badly that winter and therefore i made quite a pile of money besides branding a great many mavericks about the middle of april i met with a painful and almost fatal accident got shot through the knee with one of those old-time dragoon pistols which carry a very large ball the bullet entered the top of my knee and came out or at least was cut out on the opposite side went right through the kneecap the doctor who waited on me said i would be a cripple for life but he missed his guess although i have received another bullet hole through the same knee since then After getting wounded, I remained at Mr. Yeaman's a while, and then went down to Mr. Morris's on Trespalacious Bay to board. When I got so that I could move around on crutches, I went up to Mr. John Pierce's ranch to live. Mr. Pierce had persuaded me to put in my time going to school while unable to work. He gave me my board and washing free, and all I had to do was to take care of the children little johnny pierce eight years old mamie pierce shang's only child twelve years old and a miss fanny elliot sweet sixteen the schoolhouse being two miles off we had to ride on horseback i would have had a soft time of it all summer but before two weeks rolled around i had a fuss with the red-complexioned schoolmaster i then mounted boniparte and struck out for houston ninety miles east i arrived in houston during the state fair everything was lively there in fact too lively for me the first thing i did was to strike a monte game and the second thing was lose nearly all the money i had after quitting the monte game i struck out to hunt aunt mary whom i heard had moved to houston from galveston I had never seen her that I remembered of, but held her in high esteem for her kindness in sending me the white canvas breeches during the war. I found her after hunting all day. She kept a private boarding-house close to the Union Depot. She appeared to be glad to see me. The next day Aunt Mary's husband, Mr. James McLean, took me out to the fairground to see the sights the biggest sight to me was jeff davis although i was deceived as to his makeup i expected to see a portly looking man on a grey horse maybe the following song that i used to sing during the war had something to do with that for it ran thus jeff davis is our president and lincoln is a fool jeff davis rides a big grey horse while lincoln rides a mule end of chapters 10 11, and 12